Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. Awesome. We're in this series titled Red Flags. And today I want to talk to you about, if you're taking notes, the red flags of corruption. What makes a thing sacred? What makes something worthy of love? What happens when we start to push, play with, disregard, and overlook important boundaries that we have set up? What happens when we lose our appreciation and we stop valuing good? These are the things that we tend to be passive about. These are the things that we tend to measure their worth by our feelings, not by their nature. But these are the kinds of things that when they deteriorate, our whole life will deteriorate along with them. If you don't maintain them, your life will likely be like a boat lost at sea, being tossed to and fro by the winds of life. You'll have no agency, no clear decision on where your life is going or where you end up. Now, as I said, we're continuing our series, Red Flags, and we've been learning in this series from a a passage of Scripture that delineates, delineates, I was going to say delineates, that's not a word, (laughs) that delineates a list of characteristics Things that we ought to watch out for in others, but also in ourselves. Uh, And here are some of the red flags that we've covered so far. First week, we covered the red flags of self-involvement. And they were people who are lovers of self, people who are lovers of money, people who are prideful and arrogant. Second week, we talked about the red flags of disregard, people who are abusers, disobedient to their parents, people who are ungrateful. And today, we're going to focus on a set of red flags that depict how corruption begins in the heart. It's very interesting how Paul wrote these, uh, uh, these characteristics, and they seem like they're disconnected and, and, and singular, but they're actually blocks of things that we ought to watch out for. So today, we're talking about the red flags of corruption, and I'm going to read the scripture from the, from the NIV version today. I've been reading from the ESV version. I'm going to read it from the NIV version, and then later I'm going to read the red flags we're, we're uh, highlighting today from the NLT version. From the NIV version, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5 through 5 say this, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And then he says, have nothing to do with these people. From the NLT version, what we're reading today, what we're highlighting today, starts on verse 3 
and goes on to verse 4. This is what we're looking at today. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. So let's get to these because I, I don't want to... I want to I get to... I have, I have a lot of notes. <laughs> I want to make sure I, I respect our time here today and, and get through it. But. So the first red flag of corruption, if you're taking notes, is unholy. And I love how the NLT version puts it. It says, they will consider nothing sacred. Because this is a very good colloquial way of explaining the word unholy. When Paul says unholy, the translation is actually that, considering nothing sacred. Now when the God of the Bible revealed himself to humans, when he revealed himself to mankind, we were made aware of God's chief attribute. And God's chief attribute is this, God is holy. Even in anger, God is holy. Even in his wrath, God is holy. There is no fault and, and no, no error in his ways. His justice is righteous. His ways are pure. God is holy. And because God is holy, there are certain things in our lives and in the world that are sacred. Period. They are sacred not because of what they are simply. They are sacred because God is sacred. See, holiness is the nature of God. And because holiness is God's nature, everything God's, God produces contains His nature therein. Everything God made, makes has His nature. Everything that has been breathed out by God is sacred. Whether it's created to be under our care, whether it's been created to be used by our benefit, for our benefit, whether it's for our participation in it. If it came from God, it's sacred. Now I'm going to give you a few examples of things that are sacred. For starters, you are sacred. Your life is sacred. It's always been sacred. It's always going to be sacred. Even if you betray your life's sacredness, even if you decide to live a life that is beneath its sacredness, the fact stands that your life is sacred. And it's been sacred from the womb. That's why we have this tension in our culture today because so many believers, so many Christians are very vocal about preserving life in the womb. Some people don't understand it, but it's because of this. It's because from the moment a baby is conceived, the life of God enters that organism. And people can disagree. People can argue. They can even be offended sometimes. They can deny things, but this is what we cannot deny. We can't deny the fact that life cannot be created. At least not by humans. Life can only be bestowed. And when life is bestowed... It comes from Almighty God. No living thing has ever come out of a lab. It's only been modified, manipulated, mutated, but not created. Because life comes from God. Therefore, it's a fact. Life is sacred. You're sacred. Your life is sacred. And because 
your life is sacred. Along with your life, there are things about you that are also sacred. Things like your race. Things like your makeup. The way God designed you. The immutable characteristics that make you, you. Those are sacred. Because you were designed and you were fashioned for a purpose. Fearfully and wonderfully made, said the psalmist. With a fingerprint of God. Another thing that is sacred is marriage. Marriage is sacred. It's been said that 50% of marriages fail. I think that's wrong. At least the way we say it. We shouldn't say it like that. Because marriage is a sacrament. Marriage was established by Almighty God. And friends, marriage doesn't fail. Here's what happens. People fail marriages. People fail people. People fail their vows. People fail their commitment. But marriage itself is not a failing institution. That would be a very self-centered way of framing things to say the institution is wrong, I'm right. The institution is wrong, the problem is not within me. Here's, here's how we know that marriage is not a, a failing institution. Marriages have been successful for centuries. And it's been the fabric of society for centuries. Here's what scripture says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 and 24. Then the, God, the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make for him a helper fit for him. And verse 24 says this. Therefore, man shall leave a father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they, they shall become one flesh. This is the establishment of, uh, establishment of marriage. That's why marriage is a sacrament. That's why marriage is sacred. Now, these are a few, a couple examples of things that are sacred. There are more things that are sacred. Now, when corruption, when corruption enters the heart, when we, we, it enters the heart when we fail to uphold and uplift sacred things, when we fail to see the image of God on people, when we fail to see the life, that life is sacred. Think about this. Every crime, every atrocity, every tragedy committed against human beings require that the aggressor dismiss the sanctity of the victim's life. That person has to, they have to see their victim as not sacred. It requires the aggressor to not only dismiss the sanctity of his victim, but also the sanctity of his own life. They have to overlook the fact that their own life is sacred, that their own life is called higher. And here's the problem. When nothing is sacred, everything goes. When nothing is sacred, there's no higher ground. There's no higher status. There's no higher living. When nothing is sacred, nothing is worthy of love. Nothing is worthy of respect or humility. When you see something as sacred, it invokes devotion. When you see something as sacred, it invokes care. It invokes reverence. There's a respect and a desire to preserve it. But the moment it's no longer sacred in our eyes, then it becomes an object for our use, an object for our own devices, something to possess, maybe even something to fear because it's greater 
than us. Now we understand this. We get this. See, in olden days, whenever a home, a family, maybe a marriage suffered harm at the hands of evil men, the, the common response would be something along the lines of, they have violated the sanctity of my home. Or people would say, they, they have violated the sanctity of my marriage. There was a common understanding that there are certain things in our lives that we consider sacred. There are certain things that we, that we preserve and ascribe in our heart as sacred. And that's the reason we work, isn't it? That's the reason we suffer. That's the reason we hustle. That's the reason why we sacrifice. Because there are things in life, there are things in life that are sacred. And that which is sacred deserves sacrifice. It deserves our sacrifice. That's why us husbands, we sacrifice for our wives. That's why wives sacrifice for their husbands. That's why parents sacrifice for their children. That's why we sacrifice for a family. That's why we sacrifice for our friends. That's why we sacrifice for people we care for. Because there's something about that that is sacred to us. That we value. Sometimes we even sacrifice for a total stranger. Somebody, we're walking by on the street and something hits us. This person needs my help. This person needs my love. This person needs my care. This person needs my prayer. Why? Because there's something about them that is sacred. Their life is sacred. Now what happens to a soul when nothing is sacred anymore? What happens to a person when nothing is seen as sacred? Well, then nothing is worthy of sacrifice. Nothing is worthy of protection. At least not for love. At least not protection for honor. We may protect it, but for different reasons. Friends, I want you to watch out for this red flag today. Because it's a really important one. See, those who consider nothing sacred will not have your back when it matters most. Those who consider nothing sacred will not respect and protect your family, your wife, your kids. Those who consider nothing sacred will not value your life and your well-being. Not until they have used whatever they need from you. See, if they don't recognize God, then, and they can't see His holiness then he can't, they can't see sacredness in anything. And that's why Paul very wisely says, hey, you should avoid these people. It doesn't mean you cast them out in utter darkness like we said last week. It doesn't mean they, they you, that you annul them from your life. It simply means that they have no influence in you. Are they still worthy of love? Sure. Are they still someone that we believe in and we care and we care enough to pray yes is their life still sacred yes but their judgment the way they go about life there's a red flag there we ought to watch out here's the second red flag it's a compounded red flag because these things go together without love unforgiving and slanders are the three next things that, that paul 
writes. And it's very interesting that these three, they all have to do with relationships. So unholy has to do with the way you see God. And therefore, it reflects on how you see other things in the world. Now he moves on to things that have to do with other people. He says, without love, unforgiving and slanders. Now, I believe that being devoid of love, being unforgiving, being a slanderous person stems from considering nothing sacred. I think it starts there. Because when you lose the fear of God, when you stop considering life sacred, you lose your love for yourself and you lose your love for others. When you stop understanding that something like marriage is sacred, you become unforgiving toward your spouse. You begin to harbor offense. And when you no longer prize people and you, and you no longer see the life of God in them, when your heart gets corrupted and, 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 and it lacks sacredness in your way of life and relationships, we become slanderous, right? Well, why not? Why would you cover somebody's sin? Why would you not tell the whole world about the terrible things and the terrible things that person has done? If you don't believe that there's any chance for redemption, if you don't believe there's any chance for restoration, if you don't believe that they can recover, why would you not sound the alarm? Why would you preserve their reputation if you don't think that there's anything sacred about them? Why would you forgive your spouse? If you think marriage is nothing more than a safety net for your security, it's nothing but a contract that you sign to make sure that you don't get taken, taken advantage of. Go in for the tax break. You definitely won't love anymore, at least not properly, if you don't think their life has inherent worth and meaning. That's, that's fundamental. Right? If you think a person is just a random collection of cells, pre-programmed to do whatever they're going to do, why would you love that? Why would you value that? If you think people had no more agency and autonomy than a rock, why would you invest in them? It starts with our view of God, of course. It starts with sacredness. But that's how corruption begins. And then it moves on to love and forgiveness and, 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 and the way we talk about people. That's how corruption begins in the heart. When we cease to value what's sacred. So when you cease to value what's sacred, by consequence, we cease to love. And when we cease to love, by consequence, we cease to forgive. And when we cease to forgive, by con consequence, uh, uh, unforgiveness grows in our hearts. And inevitably, bitterness. And that, that appears in our speech. It's an inevitable chain of events, events that will corrode every part of us if we don't watch out. Now, can you see the effect of these things in the world today? Maybe not to the extent that the scripture describes here, but you can see, you can see, I'm sure, small examples, maybe not so small examples in, 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 in society and in, in people around you, maybe even. If you think about, is life sacred? Are children sacred these days? Is marriage sacred these days? Do people hold these things? the way that they should. They, do they uphold these things to the sacredness level 
that we should. Here's the way back for us. 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 through 21. Listen to this. John writes to his readers. He says, we love because he, God, first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given, and he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also, must also love their brother and sister. So John is here reminding us, hey, listen. The solution is love, but we have to understand where it comes from. It, it doesn't come from us. We love because He loved us first. And therefore, because we have received the love of God, we ought to love others. There's no love of God and love for God unless we love people. It begins with receiving the love of God. And here's the third red flag, which is also a compounded red flag that, that corrupts the heart. He continues and he says, they have no self-control, they're cruel, and they hate what is good. So this is the third thing that we're highlighting today. No self-control, cruel, and hate what is good. So it goes from unholy and sacred, which is a view of God and by consequence a view of the world, into unloving, unforgiving, and slanderous, which is the way we relate to people, to no self-control, cruel, and, and hating what is good, which is a matter of our judgment, the way we make decisions. See, corruption moves beyond our relationships into our judgment. Self-control is not only a product of willpower. Self-control is not only a product of inner strength. Self-control is a product of good judgment. You have to have good judgment to have good self-control. And when you understand in your mind and in your heart that God is holy and that you are accountable to God, you judge things differently. You put healthy boundaries in place. That's self-control. You set lines that you're not supposed to cross. But if God is not holy, if God is not on the throne, then you're not accountable to God. And if you're not accountable to God, who are you accountable to? Or what are you accountable to? You're accountable to your senses. Or maybe your own version of what is good. You're accountable to your instincts. And if you live that way, accountable to nothing but your instincts and your feelings, what is the difference between you and a beast? That's how beasts live. It doesn't matter how sophisticated and how educated you are. If you're answering to nothing but your feelings, nothing but your cravings, nothing but your desire, you're, you're going to do whatever you feel like in the moment. Now, there might be some, some restrictions that you have put in place because of your parents and the way you were raised, because of your mentors, because of societal norms, because of fear of going to jail, because of fear of shame. But trust me, little by little, if it's all about your feelings, if it's all about uh, uh, your desires, little by little, whatever sense of self-control you got from your parents, from your mentors, from your teachers, from societal norms, from school, from fear of going to jail, 
from whatever motivation you have to not hurt others, not break the law, not do anything shameful and inappropriate, those things will become performative. That's the first step. You do it to perform, to control the optics, to control how you're perceived by others. Because all of us, we have a desire to be perceived in a good way, right? We want to be perceived well. But even then, little by little, it'll be about your image. And because it's about your image, you'll begin to push those boundaries when nobody's looking. More and more, you'll begin to push them. And that's how corruption begins in the heart. Because nothing is sacred, you lose, you lose love for yourself and others. Because you lose yourself, uh, your love for yourself and others, you have no reason to forgive. Because you harbor offense, you, have, you, you rise against the person or the situation with complaints and with slander. And because there's no respect, no love, no forgiveness, no integrity in any relationship, you don't listen to anybody. Why would you? There's no sense of duty to any boundaries. And that's how self-control begins to go. Because if there's, no peop there's nobody that can talk you out of what you're going to do, if there's nobody you respect enough to shake you into and, and, and put some, some, some good sense in you, all you have to go by is your own judgment. And that's when people begin to take matters in their own hands. If they allow for bitterness and they allow for corruption to grow. Because they no longer trust in the judgment of God. They no longer trust in the judgment of people. Nothing is sacred. And that's how in many cases cruelty rises. That's why Paul writes here, they, 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 they can get cruel. Because people gain a taste for it. Listen to this scripture in Psalms, Psalms 36, 1 through 4. It's a powerful scripture. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. Even on their beds they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. You know, sometimes we ask ourselves, how, how can people be so cruel? In the face of tragedy, in the face of evil, in the face of hate, sometimes a headline comes on or a friend gives you some news of something terrible that happened. And we ask ourselves, how can somebody do such evil? How can people be so cruel? How can they descend to such a level? This is how. Friends, it didn't start with the murder. It didn't start with the genocide. It didn't start with the, with the chambers. It didn't start with the aggression. It didn't start with the war. It didn't start with, it didn't start with full on hate and full on evil. It started with corruption. It started with considering nothing sacred. It's the seed of the serpent in the garden that whispers. God did not say that. It's the seed of the enemy saying, hey, take this small step. It doesn't have to be a big, giant step, just this small step. It's one small step of encroachment at a time. One little step of corruption at a time. The enemy is not in a hurry. He has your whole life to mess you up. He's not trying to mess you up tomorrow. 
He knows how to play the game. And we have to open our eyes and open our hearts without fear, just knowing that we are called to a higher life. And I want to encourage you today to stay alert. Stay alert. Listen to this scripture, Galatians 6, chapter 7 through, uh, verses 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I love this scripture because it is the word of God encouraging us to say, hey, sometimes you feel like giving up. Sometimes the world is too crooked. Sometimes people are too mean. Sometimes things, things happen that are too unjust. But let me tell you, let's not grow weary of doing good because whatever people sow, they will reap. And if we sow in, in, in the Spirit, if we sow for, in God, we will reap eternal life. So let's not grow weary of doing good. I want to tell you one more thing that is sacred today. The church is sacred. In Genesis, you know, humans lived in a perfect environment. If you read the first three chapters of Genesis, you'll, you'll see that God built a perfect environment, a perfect garden, and they put, He put the men and the, and the woman to live there. They had a perfect diet. They lived in perfect harmony with God, in perfect harmony with nature. There was no waste. There was no global warming. There was no trash in the oceans. There was no trans fat. No high sodium in the foods. They had a perfect environment. Adam and Eve. I bet they had a six pack. <laughs> I know they did. I know they did. Still, Still, the seed of the enemy found its way in and entered their souls. I want you to pay attention to this because it was a perfect environment. Sometimes we blame the environment, right? And I grew up in a tough environment. Man, it was tough, you know. I was surrounded by people who didn't want the best for me. That has an influence. But here's Adam and Eve. They didn't have any outside influence. Other than the seed of the enemy that entered their heart. And when the seed of the enemy entered their heart, when they were allowed, they allowed for that small step. God did not say. What God said is not sacred. You can, you can do whatever you want. Small step. Sin entered the heart. And through sin, death and corruption began with mankind. Not only the death of men entered the world, but the death of everything man was in charge of. Now fast forward to Jesus. Jesus comes into an imperfect world, filled with imperfect people. The earth is filled with violence, filled with destruction, waste, abuse. Nature is abused, animals are abused, people are abused and enslaved, and nothing is apparently holy or sacred. 
Jesus was the antithesis of Adam. See, because Adam became imperfect when everything was perfect, and because of his imperfection, everything became imperfect. But Jesus remained perfect when everything was imperfect, and because of his perfection, everything can be perfect again. See, how is this possible, you may ask? If you're going to clap, let's clap, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Now, how is this possible, you may ask? Through his church. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 5, 27, uh, verses 25 to 27. It says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, listen to this, cleansing her, talking about the church, by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. This is the picture of the church. Now I'll say of the church the same thing I said of marriage. See, people fail the church. Church leaders fail the church. Pastors, priests fail the church. But there's only one that you should look to. Only one that you should set your eyes on, and that is Christ. And Christ has never failed the church. That's why the church still stands. That's why after 2,000 years, the church may have nearly died, but it rose again because the church has the resurrection power. Because of Christ. The church is holy. The church is radiant. It's beautiful. And because of Christ, the church is alive. Even though men try to kill her, even though men try to abuse her, even though people have failed her, the church rises. And friends, I want to encourage you today to keep your eyes open, to understand that God has chosen His bride to purify us. Just like we were singing. To, 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 so that we can come and offer our sacrifice of, of praise and be purified from these things in the world that try to corrupt us. See, every single one of us, we've taken steps, small steps of corruption. We have taken small steps to, to overlook things that are sacred and consider them not sacred. But we don't have to stay there. And God is calling us to open our eyes and open our hearts to understand first that God is holy. First, that He is holy and that He has determined for your life to be sacred. Your marriage to be sacred. Your children to be sacred. Your relationships to be sacred. And your devotion to Him to be sacred. Let me encourage you to esteem what is sacred. To protect what is sacred. To allow your reverence and your devotion to God to guide you. To guide your life. To protect self and practice self-control. To love what is good. To love others. To encourage others as the scripture has told us. To seek to be like Christ. And to watch out for these red flags. And I believe that if you do, you will live the life God has in store for you. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.